very thankful to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we are going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Um, if you were at camp, the, the theme was, was on prayer, and so we want to, uh, to cap that off this morning with a message out of Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 is a familiar passage to uh, to many of us. Of course, it wasn't that long, a couple of years ago, that we were in Ephesians, and uh, we were taking this as a whole. And so I, one of the things that I uh, appreciate about this passage, particularly as it relates to prayer, is that Ephesians 6 really does set prayer um, in a context that we may not always put it in. And so I want to read an extended passage here. Um, we're going to zero in on verse 18 um, specifically, but I want to start in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then I want to stop there. We could keep going, but Paul is going to give a few more specifics. One of the things that Ephesians chapter 6 helps us with as we think about putting prayer in its context, and just to be fair, I was not at camp. I don't know that this was touched on, and if it was, then, uh, then I'll take the Second Peter approach where I'm just going to stir your minds to remember the things that you already know. But one of the ways that Ephesians 6 thinks about prayer is that prayer is that which is covering the whole armor of God that you're seeking to put on as you live your day-to-day life in the spiritual warfare that you're engaged in, whether you know it or not. Okay, The point, I guess, here to say that in a little bit more of a succinct way is that prayer is war. Prayer is war. And if you aren't praying, you are not effectively fighting. You may be shadow boxing, you may be trying to use some of these other pieces of the armor that uh, Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter 6, but you're not using them effectively. You'll notice that whenever Paul encourages the Christians at the end of Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the armor of God, he encourages them to put on the whole thing. 
And that's because you need the whole thing. Sometimes we give a lot of time and attention to the individual pieces, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should understand what is being said here, but the encouragement here is not to put on the pieces you like and the ones you're comfortable with. It's to put the whole thing on and to cover the whole thing in prayer. Prayer is not a piece of the armor. Prayer is something that accompanies the entire suit, as it were. And so I want to talk this morning for for a little bit to hopefully maybe stir us up in thinking about what does it mean when we think about prayer as being war, the specific encouragement, the specific really command is that we would pray in the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? So this morning we're going to be looking at praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. A couple of preliminary remarks here. Number one, prayer is the lifeblood of the church, and every Christian's source of strength and encouragement. Prayer is vital to the life of a church, and it is vital to the health of a Christian. Now, you know I like to plug this in anytime I get a chance, and now's a prime time. What does it say when prayer corporately is not a priority? What does it say whenever we have a full house for the preaching and barely enough to fill a pew for the praying? I'll let you decide that. What does that say? Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. Where there is no prayer, I don't want to overstate this, but where there is no prayer and there is no interest in prayer, The church is soon to go. Now, James gives us a couple of really sad, devastating realities that can characterize individuals and groups as a whole. Look in James chapter 4. You know these, but I want to put them, uh, I want to make sure we're thinking about them as we're trying to Think through what does it mean to pray in the Spirit. You've heard a lot of messages on prayer this week if you were at camp. Um, You've had a lot of encouragements, possibly even a lot of discussions about prayer. No doubt if you engaged in many of those, you were edified, stirred up. One thing I want to encourage you with this morning is that the point of scriptural exhortation, the point of being convicted by certain things, all that stuff is good. But the point is not just simply to exchange information. The point is not to walk away thinking, man, what a convicting reality and do absolutely nothing about it. God is using His Spirit and His Word to bring about transformation in your life. And so the the hope is that after 
you've spent a week thinking about, being encouraged and stirred up in prayer, is that you will walk away changed by that. Whether that's being more intentional or more disciplined or whatever that is, the point is not to just dump a bunch of information. The point is that you would be drawn closer to the Lord as you grow in your prayer life with Him. So again, James 4 gives us some help. James chapter 4, uh, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and here's the principle, uh, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask not and receive, I'm sorry, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. A couple of things here. A couple of realities. Number one, out of James 4, verse 2b, you have not because you ask not. Some Christians just simply do not take the time to pray. This is something that we could all be tempted with, but the temptation is always very, very real. When we spend an intense amount of time on one particular topic to get excited about the fact, again, that we know more about it, that we've learned more about it, and possibly if we get the opportunity, we'll be able to say more about it. So we've spent, again, a week on prayer and praying and all those sorts of things. Well, if we know more about it and we've learned more about it and we're able to say more about it, none of that means anything if we're not actually engaged in it. James says, one of the reasons why you aren't getting what you're wanting is because you're not even asking for it. This is really a, or maybe I should say it really could be uh, described very well from Proverbs 26, 15. Unfortunately, there are many Christians whose prayer lives are characterized by the principle laid out here. Proverbs 26, 15. Proverbs 26.15, it says, The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom, and it grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The slothful hides his hand in his bosom, and it grieves him to bring it again to his mouth. There's also a passage that talks about the slothful man it being a, a grievance to him to take his spoon from his bowl and put it in his mouth. What's the point? The point is, he's so lazy, he doesn't want to do anything. It's, it's, it's laziness. And many times, the real struggle that we have in prayer is not a lack of understanding. It's not a lack of even ability to articulate something about it. 
It's just a lack of intentionality. It's just a lack of, of, of effort. It's really just a result of being lazy. Now, you'll have to decide whether or not that's you. But there are some things that accompany a lazy prayer life. Primarily, the things that accompany a, a, a lazy prayer life, we could articulate using John 15, 5, where Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. If we really believed that, our prayer lives would be flourishing. But self-sufficiency will make you lazy in prayer in a practical way. Again, you might be able to talk about it. You might be able to, to uh, even pray off an eloquent prayer while you're in a congregation. But a sure sign of self-sufficiency is a dry and lazy personal prayer life. It's, it's, it's the same as what we see in Revelation 3.17 where the Laodiceans said they were rich, they were increased in goods, and they had need of nothing. Well, if you don't need anything, why would you ask for it? Right? And if you're not asking for anything, sometimes we can see these and squirm our way out through some kind of logic, but the reality is if you're not asking God for anything, then it's because you see yourself as standing in need of nothing. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you know that your avenue to God has been opened up through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and so, you do have to wonder how much we are lacking simply because we haven't taken the time to ask. So, pitfall number one, we just don't ask. Pitfall number two out of James is that we, uh, we ask and we receive not out of verse three because we ask amiss. We might consume it upon our own lust. Um, I like the way the, the Holman Christian Standard translates this. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. So this is a prayer that's fueled by selfish ambition and pride where we're asking for things that are not in line with God's revealed will or we're motivated by reasons that are opposed to God's revealed will. One thing that, and, and we'll talk about this again as we make our way through, but one thing that this exposes about prayer Again, praying for things that are not in line or praying with motives that are not in line. Your prayer life is largely dependent on your understanding of Scripture. How are you going to know what to ask for? How are you going to know what's in line with God's will? How are you going to know what motives are in line with God's revealed will? See, the truth is sometimes, and with some people, your prayer lives are lacking because you don't know enough Scripture 
to have a prayer life that would align with what it means to pray in the Spirit. You haven't invested the time in understanding God and His Word to even get to the table of asking things that are in line with His will or with motives that are in line with His will. So examples of this would be, as far as the motive side, you, I think the, the first one's pretty clear, asking for things that wouldn't be in God's revealed will. Examples of the asking amiss or asking with wrong motives would be prayers that are more interested in making our lives easy and comfortable rather than holy and fruitful. Okay, nobody likes to hurt. I don't necessarily think you ought to pray that you would hurt more. But I do think that while you are in seasons of tensions and pressures and trials, if we're going to pray in a way that's consistent with God's will, we know that God uses those trials, that God uses the difficulties that we go through to produce holiness and fruitfulness in our lives. And for us to pray that God would bypass that and instead give us more comfortable, easy lives is to ask amiss. Number two, this is kind of the same just in general, praying that God would remove you from a trial rather than sanctify you through a trial. Okay, Whenever we find ourselves in trials, difficulties, pressures, Again, God has a, has a purpose in those. And so to ask God to remove us rather than help us walk through it would be to ask amiss. Now again, that's because we're more interested in His will, not our will. The opposite, okay, praying that God would do for you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's another reason or another, another way that we could ask about something outside of his will. Praying that God would do for you what he has called you to do for him. Let me say that again. Praying that God would do for you what he has called you to do for him. It doesn't mean you're asking God to help you to do what he's called you to do. But there are some times where God has clearly told us what we ought to do. And we passively pray that He would do it instead. Okay, that's not praying in accordance to the will of God. That is also asking amiss. So, what do we mean by this? Well, <clears throat> one of the things that every Christian is called to do in our lives is that we would put sin to death. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't be praying about that? No, that's not what that means. We ought to be praying that the Lord would help us as we seek to overcome sin, as we seek to put our besetting sins, the ones that we, the particular ones that we personally struggle with. But sometimes we think that the way that we should be dealing with those is praying some sort of a vague prayer of deliverance, saying, Lord, just take this away. You kill this for me. Make it to where I will no longer struggle with such a thing without putting forth any effort in joining in the fight. Well, that's a James 3 kind of prayer. Now, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could just pray, Lord, bless me not to be tempted. Bless me 
not to have any sort of struggle. But the reality is, in this world, you are going to have temptations. You are going to have trials. And God didn't give you, in Ephesians chapter 6, a full coat of armor so you could polish it up and set it in the corner to admire. He gave you a full coat of armor so that you could put it on and stand and fight. And so these kinds of prayers fall in a James 2 kind of category. Now we ask for help, but we ask for help with full intentions of obeying what God has told us to do. So two pitfalls, we're just not praying or we're not praying in a way that aligns with God's will. Now back in Ephesians, we're going to see what the... uh, the general instructions are here, but what we get as we're thinking about praying in the Spirit. So again, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication For all saints. So, first, number one, just in general here, we're called to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, there's there's several realities about the Christian's participation with the Spirit that's taught in the, uh, the book of Ephesians. We have several commands So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, you're called to be filled with the Spirit. Called to be filled with the Spirit. Again, I I would point out the fact that this is something that you are called to be actively doing. Um, It's not the same as regeneration. You're not called to... um, regenerate yourself here, but you are called to be full of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, you're commanded to take the sword of the Spirit. That's something you are doing. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we're we're getting a little out of Ephesians here, but Galatians 5, 16, you're commanded to walk in the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, what we're looking at right now, we're called to pray in the Spirit. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, I would argue, and this is one of our points, but we can have questions. I can point you in another direction that would give you more information here. But I would argue that being filled with the Spirit taking the sword of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, all of that is synonymous with being filled with the Word of God, taking hold of the Word of God, walking in step with the Word of God, and praying according to the Word of God. You see, here's the reality. The Spirit wrote a book. He took about 1,600 years to do it. And He's given it to us. 
And one of the secrets that some Christians just never get around to figuring out is he expects us to use it. I mean, if you took 1,600 years working on a gift to give someone, wouldn't you expect him to use it? God's no different. Not only does he expect us to use it, but he expects us to depend on it, to grow in it, to believe it. And so, praying in the Spirit is just simply praying in a way that is informed by the Spirit's Word. Now, sometimes this phrase can be taken in a very mystical way. Uh, Praying in the Spirit certainly doesn't mean that the Spirit puts you in some sort of a trance or takes over your prayer. It just means that you're being influenced or directed by the Spirit's inspired Word. Sometimes we can say, man, that was a Spirit-filled prayer service because somebody got goosebumps. Well, goosebumps are not the indicator that the Spirit showed up. What's being prayed is the indicator. What's stirring the affections is the indicator. How consistent that is and how strongly that's moving you toward unification with His Word, which is a reflection of God's heart for His people. That's the indicator. Okay, A Spirit-filled prayer is one where you are actively and intentionally Praying the prayer, not passively giving yourself over to the Spirit in some sort of way. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What that means is you get to decide what you say when you say it. You're in control of that. So a Spirit-filled prayer is one where your prayer is intentional. It's one where your prayer is informed. And it's one where your prayer is consistent with what God has revealed to you through Scripture, which is His inspired Word. So, number two, based out of this passage, verse 18, the command is that we would pray always. Praying always. Probably a better way to translate that is to pray on all occasions. Pray on all occasions. When I say a better way, I guess maybe I should just say for my mind, it's a little clearer if you say it that way. If I say pray always, then sometimes we get into these riddles about, well, how are we supposed to be praying always? How are we supposed to do it this way and that way? And and when we're busy doing this or busy doing that? Well, the the point here and and really the translation could be praying on every occasion. Whether you eat, or drink, you're doing all to the glory of God and independence on God. So this would be consistent with the teachings of Proverbs 3.6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That's whether you're engaged in your morning devotion, if that's when you do your devotional reading, It's whether you're sitting down to have a meal. 
That's whether you're getting ready to face a difficult situation or whether you're ready to launch into another mundane day where you don't really know what's happening. It's praying on all occasions. It's, it's, it's taking the time to acknowledge that God's presence is included and His help is needed in this day that I'm getting ready to launch into or in this particular situation that I'm going to uh, to be a part of. Now, this praying always is an acknowledgement of God's constant presence and our need of His help, but, but this sort of thing is also, at least I'll just say for my sake, for my experience, uh, this really is the, the some of the ways that some some uh, encouraging uh, testimonies are made. So I, I'll give an example. This may not be very meaningful to you, but it was for us. We still talk about it. Several, well, I say several years ago. It's been I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. <clears throat> I was uh, Abby and I were working on the building the first section of the house that we live in now and we had a window a double window it's still there that we were trying to get into this piece of channel that would make it look like one window it was me and uh, and Joseph doing that and we worked and worked and worked and worked two windows one channel that was made custom for those two windows. You just slide it in. That's all you had to do. We would pry and get it, and by the time we got to the other end, it would pop out. We tried everything we knew to do to get those two stupid windows in that one stupid channel. If you've ever done anything like that where you're beating your head against the wall, you understand what I'm saying. And so finally, after two hours of trying to figure that out, now, look at two hours. This is not bragging on me. It took two hours. I said, Joseph, let's stop for a second and just ask the Lord for help. And so we stopped and I prayed about a 15 second prayer. And you already know what happened next. It worked. Okay. It, it popped right in. Now, some of you may say, well, that's just. You know, if you're a skeptic and that sort of thing, you may say, well, that's just, uh, that's just silly. Well, maybe to you, but not to me. Um, that's not silly. That's an answer to prayer in a very, very unnecessary way. What I mean by that was I wasn't asking God to part the Red Sea so that I could escape the Egyptians' wrath. I was trying to get two windows in a channel. And yet God is present, God is interested, and God is helpful. So praying on all occasions, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. This is part of what that pray always means. Um, in Luke chapter 18... This is a point that Jesus emphasized in his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 18, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, this is verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray 
and not to faint. Now, this particular parable is speaking about endurance in prayer, but still we're enduring to pray on all occasions or in all times and all circumstances. So this is something Jesus emphasizes in his earthly ministry. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, you're familiar with this. We're called to pray without ceasing. So what's the point? Well, the point is if we're praying in the Spirit, then we're going to be praying always. We're going to be praying on all occasions. This is going to be something that is a part of, a normal part of our life. So that tells us uh, in one sense that Praying in the Spirit is not limited to a specific prayer. It's really speaking about a way of life or a manner of life. So you wouldn't say, oh man, last Sunday he didn't pray in the Spirit at all, but this Sunday he did. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying that your life is characterized by praying in the Spirit as you, number one, allow the Word to fill you up and to fill your prayers up as well. But number two, and I don't mean quotations filling them up, but informing those things. And then number two, as you pray always. Number three, out of the text in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. It could also be praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplications. Surely somebody this week mentioned something about the uh, acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. If they didn't, this has got to be the first year in camp that that wasn't brought up because it's brought up a lot and for good reason. It's a helpful guide. Okay, So this is what we're talking about. Uh, This is what Paul is talking about um, whenever he says praying um, in prayer and supplication or all prayer, all kinds of prayer and, uh, and supplication. Uh, there are in a spirit-filled uh, prayer life or praying in the spirit. It's not just a time where we come and fill God's ear with all of our needs. That's, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. As we've been seeing in the Psalms and various sections, that there is there are times. And, and this should definitely be a regular part of our prayer life where we come to the Lord in just in praise and in thanksgiving. We come to the Lord praising Him for who He is, for what He has done, and so forth and so on. A prayer life that doesn't include that is not a prayer life that's marked by the Spirit. Confession. We're just going through this acronym. Confession. Confession of sin. If we acknowledge that we're sinners, but we're never confessing that sin to God, there's a disconnect somewhere. Confession ought to be a regular part of prayer. Thanksgiving. And then supplication, where we're bringing our needs before Him. All kinds of prayer. Also, we could... Think about it this way. There are times where, and I would I would argue if we're going to have a uh, 
going to have a prayer life that would be consistent with being filled with the Spirit, we need to have times that are just times of disciplined prayer. That means that this is a planned, intentional time for me to pray. But there's also going to be spontaneous prayer. You're going to run into things that you weren't expecting and you're going to need God's help. Or maybe you're going to realize that God has delivered you from something in the moment and you want to thank Him and praise Him for it. Maybe there's a need that you hear about in the moment that you stop to pray for. There's times where we're going to be engaged in private prayer. There's times where we're going to be engaged in public prayer. The point is that if you're filled with the Spirit and you're praying in the Spirit, You're going to be engaged in all kinds of prayer and supplication. That's going to be a normal part of your manner of life. Philippians chapter 4 gives us another example of this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Philippians 4 verse 6 is really describing four very specific and different kinds of prayer. Be anxious for nothing, instead do what? In everything, by prayer. Prayer, okay, the word there for prayer is just the general word for prayer. Okay, there's nothing specific about that. It's just a general time of prayer. So by prayer and supplication, okay, we're bringing our, uh, our perceived needs, our, our, what we're, uh, what's weighing on us before the Lord with thanksgiving, bringing a thankful heart, expressing a thankful heart before God. Let your request, okay, that is the specific request that you have in the specific moment, let those be made known unto God. So there's nothing general about Philippians 6. It's a very specific way to pray. And that would be in line with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, all kinds of prayers. So we're praying always. We're praying all kinds of prayers. Next, back to verse 18 of uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What Paul describes here is attentive, persevering prayer for all the saints. Attentive, persevering prayer for all the saints. That would pretty well describe what we try to do on on Wednesday nights. As we take time out to take prayer requests, to remind you of ongoing needs, to um, 
gather the information that we need to gather about praying for those who are not really in our midst, but those that we're connected to in some way. One of the, uh, one of the points that this ought to bring out to our minds is that a spirit-filled prayer life is not a prayer life that is completely focused and consumed with self. Now, it's not selfish to pray for yourself if you realize you're in need. So I'm not saying you should never pray for yourself. Sometimes we can fall on the opposite end. Sometimes, if, particularly if we're in public or something like that, we're hesitant to, to give a prayer request or even to pray for a personal prayer request. That's really called pride, not humility, even though it doesn't feel that way sometimes. This, but what this is saying is, along with praying for yourself that you're praying for God's people, you're praying for God's kingdom, and you're doing this in specific, attentive, persevering ways. One way that I've tried to uh, at least model this on the Wednesday nights is with our ongoing prayer for the brothers and sisters that we're praying for with, uh, with cancer, leukemia. It could be easy to just think, Here we go again, reading the same old list. Well, you could think about it that way if you wanted to. But we're commanded to be attentive and we're commanded to be persevering in our prayer for God's people. We could do it for more than just the first category of continually to repeat those kinds of things. But but think about this out of a Philippians. I'm just going to read these just for time's sake. Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 4, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy. You know, Paul was a pretty had a pretty incredible prayer life, didn't he? I mean, this is not just for the Philippian church. Paul says this almost about every church that he's connected to. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, praying for you with joy. Colossians 1, 3-4, Paul says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Philemon 4, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Well, one of the things that praying in the Spirit as a manner of life will do is it will help you to cultivate a heart full of someone else. One of the the very helpful ways that the Lord has given us to combat a self-centered life is a commitment to specifically and attentively praying for other people. And when we do that, 
It's one of the ways that the Lord helps transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, the one who is our intercessor, the one who ever lives to make intercession for his people. So one of the realities that we already know, just based on Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, is that even when we don't know all the specifics, when we think about the challenges that our brothers and sisters across the world are facing, we can be sure of this. They're facing the same kinds of battles that we are, the same kinds of temptations that we are. They're having the same kinds of struggles that we are because they're in the same battle spiritually that we are. And so part of what it means to pray in the Spirit is that we are praying for our brothers and sisters across the globe. Lastly, from this passage, <clears throat> part of what it means to pray in the Spirit, at least the way Paul is illustrating this, or, 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 or maybe we could say applying this, in verses 19 through 22, after he tells them to pray for all the saints, he says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known unto you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. So not only are we praying for God's people, all the saints, in, the, in, in, in attentive particular ways, but one of the things that Paul illustrates here is that we are also praying for specific people with specific needs. You'll notice Paul says, in verses 19 through 20, pray for this specifically, that God would give me boldness, that I would speak the way and the things that I ought to speak. So there's some specificity here. Notice in James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now, I'm, I want to look at the verse in principle. Okay, a couple of things here that we see. Number one, confess your faults one to another. There is specific information that's being shared. Number two, do that so that you can pray for one another. Specific information being shared, and there is specific information being prayed for. Now, I'm not using this application because this is something that we do very much here, if at all, but it does speak to this. Um, not just this passage, but Scripture as a whole, you know, as we're thinking about what it means to specifically pray for specific people with specific needs, the unspoken prayer request model doesn't fit that bill. You know that an unspoken request is not even a, a request? Now, I'm not saying that we should 
say we should give every dirty detail of every little thing that needs to be prayed for. But if I'm telling you I have an, an unspoken prayer request, I've actually told you absolutely nothing except giving you a little fodder to let your mind go wild with what's going on in Brother Lewis's life that he would be so bad he doesn't want to mention. That's not called edifying. So we should be specific about what we need, even if we can't be specific or shouldn't be specific about the actual circumstance. What do I mean by that? Well, it could go something like this. Please pray for me that I would have wisdom and patience and strength as I deal with a very difficult situation. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't given you any of the details that may not need to be shared, but I've at least been specific about what I need. Paul is asking that the saints would pray for him that the Lord would give him wisdom and boldness along with courage and clarity as he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says right now, this is the urgent thing I would like for you to be praying about. By the way, if you've ever struggled wondering what should I be praying for my pastor, this is a good prayer. But I would also point you to the rest of the passage in verses 21 and 22. Paul says, First, I want you specifically to be praying this, but then he says, more specifics are on the way. I'm sending Tychicus to you so that he can give you more specifics that you can be praying about for me. So, again, as we're thinking about praying in the Spirit, not as an isolated prayer, that would be a misunderstanding, but as we're thinking about praying in the Spirit being a way of life or a manner of life, part of that means that we are praying for specific people with specific needs, and we're doing that intentionally. So brothers and sisters, as we think about prayer, growing in prayer, as we think about it being more of a lifestyle than an isolated performance, then my prayer this morning is that Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 22 would stir our hearts in whatever way, really, that your heart needs to be stirred. Maybe you found yourself in James chapter 4 as just kind of the prayerless Christian, waiting for the Spirit to overwhelm you with some kind of a emotional prompt to pray. If you have not, maybe it's because you've not asked. So, so maybe what you need is to repent of laziness in prayer. Or maybe what you need is to grow in your ability to pray in a way that's in line with God's will and with motives that are in line with God's will. And really, really what that means is what you need is to spend more time prayerfully in Scripture so that you know the language of prayer. And by that, I don't mean words. I mean the principles that the Lord would have you to be praying in and through. Perhaps we need to grow in this prayer in all occasions. 
Or maybe we're a one-trick pony and we only pray when we have something we need. We need to grow in accessing all the other different ways that Scripture would have us to pray. Whatever it is, you shouldn't walk out of here with your head hung low if you've discovered through this week or maybe through this message that you need to grow in prayer. The reality is we will have a need to grow in prayer until the day that we die. Prayer is war and war is difficult. The question is not, do you need to grow? The question is, do you know where you need to grow and are you willing to do something about it? And so I would just say what I said at the beginning. Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. And it is the lifeblood of every Christian as we seek to live a life that's pleasing to God. So my prayer for myself and for you is that we would believe that and that we would live in light of it. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we freely acknowledge this morning that to one degree or another, uh, prayer is something that we struggle with. Um, there are times where we have seasons that are more consistent, more victorious, even more enjoyable than others. Times where prayer would come more naturally than others. And then there are times where we just have dry seasons. Father, we don't lay that out as an excuse. We just lay that out as the reality. And so I pray that you would bless us to be more committed to what it means to praying in the Spirit as a way of life. I pray that where our prayer life is hindered due to a lack of Scripture knowledge, that you would bless us to get serious about that. I pray that where we're deficient in any of these other areas, that you would bless us to grow and to pursue growth. And Father, I pray that really the umbrella that would be over all of this would be the reality that we're seeking to grow deeper in our relationship with you, not simply grow better in some sort of an abstract, impersonal discipline. Father, you have called us to pray because you love us. You want to hear our prayers. And you want us to draw close to you. So I pray that we would believe that and that we would engage in it. In Jesus' name, amen.